0: Sound good? All right, no problems. Well, it's a privilege to be up here, I'm excited. Um, maybe nervous, I'm kind of waiting to see if it happens. <laughs> I, want to, uh, I want to thank my friends for leading in worship, Javier Michelle and Rick and Erica. That was the message, I'm ready to go home. That was great. Uh, we gotta worship in spirit and in truth, and I'm glad that we can do both, and uh, I was excited. That's, those hymns have been a blessing to me. They don't especially relate to the theme, but it's about God. Um, I want to take the chance to introduce my parents. They're not here. They're in Kenya. But I wanted to... Um, I wanted to... Fooled some of you. I want to greet them because uh, no man receives anything except to be given him from heaven above and from mother too. I wouldn't be here, literally. And otherwise, and I know they're listening to this tape and they're probably on their knees at this very moment before they go to bed in Africa praying. And so I want to thank them and my grand Bob. I know he's going to get the tape and I just really appreciate his godly, beginning the godly heritage. Um hundred years ago and I just want to thank them and I thank you for giving me the privilege I'm looking forward to digging into the word today um I kind of want to prepare you I kind of have a not a pet peeve but just something I want you to work on and that is to really learn to listen to a sermon (laughs) I'm probably not a good example but learn to listen to a sermon I want to I wanted there to be some meat today you know I want we're going to flip to some verses I want to read some quotes and you're going to have to follow so I want you to put on your seatbelts and be ready to listen all right and uh, I want to wait your appetites for that. So just prepare for that. And if it's not exciting, and I don't apologize. I want God's word to be true, and I want God to be glorified. And don't and try to fight that uh, urge to be a young preacher critiquer, because I've been there. You know, I sat out there like Brian Abbey's probably doing right now, and wondering, how's he going to do, you know? Oh, I, I can't wait till my chance to do better. You know, you just critique the young guy, and oh, is he going to be the next Spurgeon? And we all know no one will be. And so, um, I didn't have a watch, I just brought my little travel alarm clock, so... <laughs> think it'll work for now. But I just want you to listen to what God's Word has to say to us. And uh, I pray the Lord will teach us from His Word. Um, You know, I look at uh, today and I thought, you know, every preacher desires to have his whole audience with him. And I'm really tempted to want every one of you to listen in the room. And I don't want to see anyone nod. And it's tempting to try to do that and to try to hook every one of you. So I thought, you know, I could just talk on like dating or relationships. And I'd have every one of you because you've all thought about getting that MRS degree or you've all thought about your future spouse or whatever and i took every one of you you know but the funny thing is and this is i'm speaking to myself that we're already engaged and we all already have a spouse and we think very little about him and that's the lord he's called our husband he's our lover he's the lover of our soul he's we're his bride and i know if i speak on that i won't get as much attention but it's a lot more eternal message even if those of you some of you are engaged but you're all engaged right we're wed to christ we're betrothed to him and so that's the foundation of what I want to speak to you today about on God's jealousy, because that's the foundation, that he's our husband, and that we're his bride, and that he owns us. You know, uh, I think of God's jealousy, it, it's clear across the scriptures. It has a great priority. And um, thinking of God's jealousy reminds me of college camp next weekend. I want to introduce... <laughs> it doesn't really, I'm lying. I just want you to I want, to... I want you guys to go to college camp next weekend. I was supposed to introduce and I forgot. But uh, Steve Camp's going to be there all weekend, and we're going to be speaking on uh, our riches in Christ And it's Friday through Sunday. It's only $70. You can get a scholarship if you want. So Rick Carvino wanted me to make a pitch. So let me know. I have a lot more of these. So anyway, that's that. Um, Turn to Exodus 20, if you would. Turn to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 5. Uh, One of your professors, Ron Johnson, told me that he thinks, apart from God's sovereignty, he sees God's jealousy as the most clearly... Um, the the, the attribute of God that stands out the most throughout all of Scripture. It is uh, mentioned 33 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 33 times total. And that's explicitly the word attributed to God, his jealousy. 33 times. And here in Exodus 25, Exodus 20, verse 5, we have, this is God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses. Okay, this is the very finger of God writing on the tablets of stone what he wants Israel to know. The Ten Commandments, we've all heard of them. Everyone in the room, you know this, the Ten Commandments. What's the first attribute God points to when he lays out the Ten Commandments? He tells them in Exodus 20, I delivered you. I'm your God. Don't make for yourself other idols. And then in verse 5 of Exodus 20, he says, You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands. It's the first attribute that God points to when he lays out the Ten Commandments. I'm a jealous God. But how many sermons have you heard on the jealousy of God? Most people ask me what I was speaking on. You kind of got a kind of, I almost hesitated to say it because it's not a common phrase. Maybe that's good that we revere it. In Nahum 1-2, you can turn or you can listen. In Nahum one one of Rick Crest's favorite passages. Nahum 1-2, this is the prophet. He's been sent back to Nineveh. I'm sorry, back to Assyria, which is in, which is where Nineveh is. And, you know, Jonah went and they repented and now they're living, they're sitting pretty again, really comfortable. And instead of God coming through the prophet and saying, do this, do that, giving him a lot of practical tips, like most sermons today, he said, here's who I am. And he said, the first verse, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The first verse, that's the opening word that the prophet says, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. And that's what I want today to be. I want first to show you who God is. I want to show you what his jealousy is like. And then I'll talk to you and myself about what we can do and how we can apply it. So first of all, we want to see the character of God and who he is. That's doctrine. And that. Impacts the practical living that we do every day. You've got to get those things straight. Um, how about defining jealousy? You know, my temptation would be to, to come to all of you and say, you know, you've all had a boyfriend or girlfriend, you've been sitting in the cafeteria and you see them talking to someone else, and remember that feeling you got? Jealousy, huh? And I'd have all your attention. And maybe there's some, some connections there. Um, obviously, I'd have all your attention, and you just laugh. But you know what the danger is, and that's the whole danger that comes with anthropomorphisms. had to say that word it's the it's human characteristics used to describe god you see we got to be careful when we think of jealousy or love or any of the communicable attributes of god because you know god was jealous and loving a lot a long time before those words ever came into before noah webster ever existed or before they were ever in the dictionary and so we need to realize we don't need to take our human passions and put them on god and say oh jealousy yeah okay i know what that's like or love and we really got to battle that so i want you to work today to try to get rid of that Verbal, you know, baggage that we have, and we think of jealousy in a negative sense. As we look at our jealous Holy God in the Scriptures, now the Hebrews, in the Jewish day in the Old Testament, their concept of jealousy was this: uh, the the word studies tell me it's a very strong emotion, a passionate desire. See, they usually understood jealousy in the context of marriage. It talks about that in Leviticus twenty, verse ten, Deuteronomy twenty-two, and Numbers chapter five. All show the concept of a justified jealousy. You see jealousy was expected and it was right and it was punishable area was the means to action and to punishment when a wife was unfaithful to a jewish husband and so when when the jews heard the word jealousy they knew it was a serious thing and it was punishable by death they were allowed to punish and to kill that wife if she was unfaithful so they knew jealousy was a very serious thing and it was a right thing and it was justified and it led to death that's something interesting to to study uh, Webster webster's has defines jealousy as Intolerance of rivalry or unfaithfulness. J.I. Packer says this, and I'll be using some because he had a good chapter on jealousy. J.I. Packer said, praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. Now, a lot of times we see a positive and a negative side of jealousy. We can see the virtue of jealousy, and that is when displaying high level of commitment for one's own property. Or we see the negative side of jealousy, which we might be better to call envy. And that is desiring what is rightly someone else's. So I want to talk to you today about a true, right understanding of jealousy in the biblical concept, and that is desiring something that is rightly yours. So where we're going today, it's going to be really clear. A is I want to give you five propositions about God's jealousy, and then B, I want to apply God's jealousy, practicalities, okay? So propositions and then practicalities, that's where we're going. And the whole goal is, and this is the guiding principle, is I want you and I to come face to face with our own jealous God. To be comforted and assured by his jealousy. And then to be convicted by our own lack of zeal. You know, zeal and jealousy are the same word in the Old Testament. Across a lot. So first, about his jealousy. Five propositions about God's jealousy. I want you to follow with me and we'll review at the end. One, God's jealousy is not just a passing mood. Turn to Exodus 34. Or you can just listen. It was read in the opening by uh, Scott. God's jealousy is not just a passing mood, but it's his very essence. You see, a lot of times, again, those anthropomorphisms, jealousy is something that comes and goes, oh, I, I feel jealous. Oh, no, I'm content today. It's okay if she eats lunch with him. I don't feel jealous. It's, it comes and goes. God, is his name is jealous. In Exodus 34, the passage that Scott read, it was perfect. He covered it all. Here's Moses saying, God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Show me thy glory. And, and God passes by and he shows Moses all that he is. And he lists, he says, the Lord, good, loving, kind, compassion. And he lists all the attributes of God. God lists them about himself. But jealousy isn't mentioned but then you go on to verse 14 in exodus 34 and god sums up all that he is in one word he said his name is jealous he didn't reveal it then that it's an interesting text you ought to study he says his name is jealous it sums up all that he is just like you know if i said michael jordan boom basketball you all think of basketball that that is what his identity is wrapped up in as basketball right well nowadays it's everything else golf and whatever but um you know how the story goes. Well, when we say God is jealous, that is all his identity. It's wrapped up in who he is. It's written all of his scriptures from the first to Genesis to Revelation. It's woven all through the scriptures that God's jealous. His name is jealous. So That helps our definition as we think of God's jealousy versus our American definition of it. Now, the second thing, that's the first thing. God's jealousy is his very essence, not just a passing mood. The second thing, God's jealousy is usually set in the context of his people's unfaithfulness, their spiritual adultery, idolatry, or their harlotry. God is jealous of them. There's two things. The next point is going to be a different preposition. That's the word or a connecting word. What is of? What would that be called in English? Conjunction. Okay, thanks, Bill. It's a conjunction. First, we read God is jealous of us. It's in a negative context. Turn to Deuteronomy 4.24. Deuteronomy 4.24. This is a powerful scripture. In Deuteronomy 4... God's speaking, again, God's speaking to all of Israel. They're assembled in Deuteronomy. They're assembled and he gives them this one word. And he talks about, in verse 15, watch yourselves carefully. He talks about how God saved them. In verse 20, Exodus, I mean, sorry, Deuteronomy 4. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession today. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and swore that I should not cross the Jordan. Moses is talking about himself. talks about he's not going to be able to go across. But then in verse 23 to Israel, he says, you still got a chance. Watch yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he made with you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord, your God has commanded you for the Lord, your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. A lot of times fire is used in the context of God's jealousy. So is wrath and his anger and punishment. It's a very negative connotation in a lot of passages in scripture. We got to face up to that. So it's in the context that his people were being unfaithful. And then you think of James chapter 4. Here's our New Testament parallel. In James chapter 4, you can listen or turn. If you're able to listen while you turn. James 4, he says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Verse 5 of James 4. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. You see... They were being friends with the world, thus enemies of God, stirring up his jealousy, his very nature, making it be manifested in his jealousy. So we see a lot of times the scriptures used, if you studied it and you look in a concordance often, it says, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. The reason it uses the word for is because God is explaining, we had a guy speaking here on Psalm 96, and the first three verses say, do this and do this and do this, for the Lord is a great God. It's the motivation. It's like, you know, go and do this for if you don't you know so god gives them not only the command don't be idolaters don't turn to other gods then he says "For." so notice that says for the lord your god is a jealous god that's the whole reason that's the whole foundation of why we want to be faithful and not spiritual harlotters and adulterers and turn to idols another context and again this is still under my second point that god's jealousy is in a negative context often is deuteronomy 32 turn to deuteronomy 32 Deuteronomy 32, again, here, Moses is wrapping up the book of Deuteronomy and talks about the context of uh, the people's security and how God's jealousy is often stirred up when they're sitting pretty and comfortable. Deuteronomy 32, he begins in verse 7, saying, remember the days of old, consider the years of all generations, and he talks about how faithful God was to him, how he found him in the desert land, how he redeemed him, and often in the Old Testament, they reminded him, remember how good God was, He, he saved you, he took you out of slavery, and then look in verse 15, I'm sorry, let's start in verse 12. The Lord alone guided him, Israel, and there was no foreign God with him. Then it goes on, verse 13 and 14, but in 15. But Jeshurun, which is a word for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him, and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations they provoked him to anger. It goes on in that. Verse, all the way into verse 21. And it says again, God says, they've made me jealous with what is not God and they provoked me to anger with their idols. Again, we need to be warned because a lot of times God's jealousy is most revealed when we're comfortable. That's again what Nahum was saying. The first verse in Nahum, Nahum 1, 2. The first word he said, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. Why? Assyria was in great power. They were reigning. They had all the security. They thought, oh, the world's going to go on forever and ever and we've got all control. That's when God says, a jealous and avenging God am I because when you're... Comfortable and when you're secure, and you and I can testify to this, that's when we turn to other gods. That's when we begin to trust the things of earth and start to see with, with earthly eyes. So, if God is jealous and He's stirred up by His jealousy, by our unfaithfulness, then it's also God's jealousy is a motive to action. He mentions it in Ezekiel 16, and Ezekiel 16 has a lot of good stuff, and because of time, we're not going to turn to it, but you ought to read Ezekiel 16. It's an amazing passage. It talks about how God says, Israel, you were like an abandoned child, out on the streets, in the trash heap, hopeless. Your umbilical cord was moving around. You had no hope. You were soon to die, but then God saves them and He pulls them up and He redeems them. And he puts a robes on them and He puts incense and spices and He dresses them up in beauty and He saves them. And then they look at their beauty and say, "Aha!" Oh, i forgot God. And then it says in Exodus 16, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel 16:38, He says, "I came on you with the wrath of my jealousy." He came on them with the wrath of His jealousy. And then look at Joshua 24:19. Joshua 24:19. This is a really clear one as we look at Masters College assembled here today and a small representation of Israel being assembled together. And Joshua comes and this is his final charge. Okay, they've entered the promised land. They've begun their new life in the promised land. And this is Joshua's one charge. He tells them in verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord. This is Joshua 24. You will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. He warns them. He says, I'm going to hedge you in with God's jealousy, because if you don't, then God will let you go. You're unfaithful to the extent that he just removes you. And that'd be interesting to study in the Old Testament. You know, a parallel might be 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. A lot of people like to understand that verse. God says, if you deny me, I'll deny you. If we remain, if we're faithful, he remains faithful. And a lot of people say, oh, he's still faithful, even if we just go our own way. And again, if we're Christians, I don't think we can lose our salvation. But I've understood that text. to mean, if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we're faithless, he'll remain faithful. Faithful to what? The verse before that he said he'll deny you. That's what God's faithful to, his own promise to deny those who reject him. And so again, look at 1 Timothy 2. I think that would be a New Testament parallel, Joshua 24. Study it. I mean, God's, you know, he's got a limit. And again, I don't think you can lose your salvation, but I know that if we continue to resist God and show ourselves not to be his, and his jealousy says, I'm not going to let my name be defamed that way. Go your own way. His jealousy is a warning to us. But there's a third thing. Okay, first, God's jealousy is his very essence. Secondly, it can be used in a negative context. But thirdly, God's jealousy is in a positive context. It works. He's jealous for us. Okay, that's the other conjunctive. Okay, he was jealous of us, and now he's jealous for us. We see this in Isaiah 42, 13. Isaiah 42, 13. Listen to this. Talking about Israel being redeemed. Isaiah 42, 13. Then the Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. Even in Isaiah 9 where it talks about for a a son shall be given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the government shall be on his shoulders. It says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So it's also God's jealousy and his zeal that sent Christ to redeem us and that he's jealous for us to redeem us from our enemies. We also read in Zechariah 1 and also in Ezekiel 36 it says God's jealous for his own name. And then in Zechariah 1, listen to this proclaim saying thus says the lord of hosts i am exceedingly jealous for jerusalem and zion thus says the lord of hosts i am exceedingly jealous for zion yes with great wrath i am jealous for her you see again god's wrath god's jealousy and his wrath motivates him to action for us to to deal with our enemies to deal with those who were against israel so he could have his children in his own possession he didn't want them to be mistreated and to reproach his name or for the enemies also and so god's jealous for us you think of israel i mean God was jealous for him, so he redeemed him from uh, Egypt, right? God was jealous in a negative sense, and his wrath was jealous, so he exiled him. What brought him back later on? Redeemed him back from Babylon. God's jealous love again, that he wanted to bring him back to Jerusalem, and he just chose sovereignly, not because they deserved it, to be jealous for his own glory and to do good to them and to bless them and to be jealous for him in the gospel today. Think about the gospel today, right? It's God's jealousy, Romans 1, for his own glory. We've rejected his own glory, so God says, you know, The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins must die. God's jealous for his own glory. He's holy. You can't approach him unless you're holy. So God's jealousy for his own glory, in a negative sense, condemns us to hell. But then in a positive sense, his jealousy sends his son to die on the cross so that he could redeem us. He could die for sinners. And then he's jealous for us. So you see see the positive and the negative aspects of God's jealousy? It's not two different things. God's not in parts or anything. It's just coming to understand all the facets of God's jealousy. Calvin Uh, a paraphrase he said this god is the defender of his people whom he has a singular love for now the last two things the last two points on this about god's jealousy is why why is god so why is jealousy in his very essence and why is god jealous in a negative sense for us and why of us and why is he jealous for us in a positive sense well to the last two points of these five propositions god's jealousy is grasped better when we understand his ownership for us his ownership of us. When we understand that God owns us, then we understand that he has every right to be jealous. What does it say in Revelation 5-9? They were praising him and said, for with your blood you purchased men for God from every tongue, tribe, and nation. What's the definition of redemption? You've all had Christian theology, right? Or you're going to be having it. Redemption is to buy back from the slave market, right? It's to buy back. We were worthless and useless and just another object and we were just in the, you know, we had no worth or any value and uh, no one cared about us. And then God reached down and redeemed us. And he sent his son on the cross. And he died for us and he bought us back. So we're his. Even in Acts 20, 28, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, he says, guard the church of God. And he says, which he purchased with his own blood. The very blood of God was shed for us. Then in 1 Peter 1, in First Peter 1, 8 and 9, listen to this. We read again that we are his own people. He says in 1 Peter 1 that we were purchased with his own blood, not of what is it it's In verse uh, 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. First Peter 2:9, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession." it gets better, you could read on. What's First Corinthians 6:20 say, "No, you're not. you're not your own. You're bought with the price." And then Psalm 100, the last verse for this point. Know that the Lord Himself, He is God, it is He who's made us and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. You see, God's our Creator and our Savior. That's double allegiance. Double allegiance that we owe Him. That's why people are evolutionists, because they don't want to face up to the fact that God created the world, because then they're responsible to a Creator. Someone made them. They didn't just evolve and can't just be their own lords and, you know, be at the steering wheel of their own lives. God's our Creator and our Savior. He's, it's double allegiance that we owe Him. God's also our lover. He's our husband. Isaiah 54, 5, One of my favorite verses. I've meditated on some lately. Listen. Isaiah 54, 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. See, once we were orphans and now we're his people. J.I. Packer says about marriage, about us as God's uh, bride. He says, the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. Isn't that true? Would marriage be so exclusive if it was just a yearly thing? Oh, it's, you know, it's February 8th, time to get married again. You know, it's, there's no significance. It's the exclusiveness of marriage that's the essence of marriage. There's some other Old Testament references talk about God calls us his special treasure, he calls us the apple of his eye. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, The very hairs of our head are numbered. And then in Revelation, uh, John Litz pointed this out to me. In Revelation, we read, What is it about heaven that's one of the most glorious things and the most sad things during the tribulation? They took the mark of the beast, right? The ownership of the beast. Those people won't be in heaven. And what does it say in Revelation 22:4 about us, the saints who will be in heaven? It says that his name will be upon our foreheads. You see, that's the glory of heaven is that we're God's possessions forever. No more in enticement and adultery with the world and entanglement. Always having to resist foreign gods because in heaven we're his forever. His name's upon our foreheads and the marriage supper of the lamb and the bride dressed in white. That's the glory of heaven is that we're his. And that's how we understand God's jealousy is when we know that He bought us, that He has ownership of us. The last thing about God's jealousy, the last support for God's jealousy, one, it's his own essence, two, it's a negative, three, positive, four, that he, we're owned by him, and five, that God has a passion for his own glory. God delights in his own glory. Here's some verses from Isaiah 42, 8, 43, 21, and 25, and 48, 11. I kind of put them all together. It's a T I V. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images i am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake for my own sake for my own sake i will act for how can my name be profaned and my glory i will not give to another elsewhere scripture says that no flesh will glory in his presence god's jealous not just for our own comfort but for his own glory In ezekiel 39 he says i'll redeem them because i'm jealous for my own name not just for their comfort not just that they're being under slavery not just that it'd be better for them to get back to jerusalem and all the benefits that they'll receive but he's jealous for his own name we uh i can remember herod's hang-up and and that's what i called in acts 12 why was it that he was eaten by you know caterpillars or worms because he didn't give god the glory god's jealous for his own glory calvin said this he he said god appears to wait right god appears to be patient right now you see people go in their own way and you wonder why doesn't god just punish them or why don't christians who are living in you know you see those pastors you see a the the baker deal you know know, the, the list goes on why doesn't god in his wrath and his fire and jealousy deal with them well, he may wait, but Calvin says this one day, he will yet be the defender of his own glory. God will yet be the defender of his own glory. And part of this is something I don't have time to go into, but understanding that God is not humble in the sense that we understand him to be humble by, oh, I'm not that great, you know. God is passionate for his own glory. It would be interesting for us to study. Piper, he says, this is his addition. John Piper, the guy who was here a couple of weeks ago, this is his addition to the Westminster Confession. He said, the chief end of God is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. See, God, God delights in himself, and in God delighting in himself, he's doing the best for us. You ought to study that, because I know if you're like me, your first thought is, well, that's kind of selfish, you know? God just sits there and says, more and more and more. But for God to seek his own glory is for God to seek the highest, most supreme good. He can't seek anything less, and therefore, we get the benefit also. And if, we, if he sought anything less, then we would get less also. So, in God seeking himself, you know, he's seeking us too. So something interesting. Piper's written, Desiring God and the Pleasures of God. Those would be interesting to read. Now, there's the five propositions. Those are the five things about God's jealousy. But how do we apply it? And this is where I specifically want to apply it to Master's College campus. As Josh always tells me, what's it look like on Master's campus? It's a good question to ask. You know, I can just get going in the car. Oh, this and this. We need to be holy and all this. And Josh will sometimes, well, what's that look like on Master's College campus? What's it look like in the dorms? What's it look like at Carl's Jr.? What's it look like last night? What's it look like on Master's College campus? Or should we say, how shall we then live? So let's apply God's jealousy. Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So if God is jealous and angry and wrathful, shouldn't we imitate that? Shouldn't we model God's jealousy and be jealous for the same objects that God is jealous for? We should. In 2 Corinthians 11.2 and 3. Paul said, I'm jealous for you for a godly, with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, so your minds might also be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The first thing is that we be jealous over ourselves. We've got to have self-jealousy to guard ourselves, to be like a bride. What an amazing, that by far is the best illustration of a bride. You know, I think of Erica as getting married to my best buddy Lee um, on May 13th. And I think of all the process that erica's going through to prepare and and just all the everything accumulates in that day and you're preparing yourself and you've prepared yourself your whole life and you stayed pure and that's why you wear the white dress and all that comes to that point of preparing yourself for marriage and the purity of it and and that's the illustration all throughout scripture i once heard the illustration of what if you know say that the bride comes and i won't use them as i'm just saying general because this is a just a filthy illustration i I mean like it's just a shame in this sense now you're all thinking what's going to happen okay the, the groom is standing here right the organ plays good old organ and the bride's walking down the aisle i'm sure the, the groom got tears in his eyes i'm sure um, some guys do and get teared up and um and then all of a sudden the bride just decides she's going to take her time and she kind of pops in one guy's lap and gives him a little hug and kisses another guy in the cheek and you know says hi to her ex-boyfriend on the way and i mean how's the groom standing here feeling going i'm sure he, i'm sure he's crying for sure now <laughs> um but again that's the illustration. But here we have, you know, Jesus Christ says it's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says it's going to be the wedding in the end. and that, that He's our bride and he's our spouse. And, you know, even Erica and Lee, and sure, I'm, I'm, I'm not engaged so I can say this, you know. But that wedding, it's going to be incredible. And the marriage is going to be amazing. 50, 60 years of just a luscious marriage. But, you know, for eternity, we're married to God. For eternity, we're married to God. Weird adjective. Just. In Ezekiel 14, it says that, it says, Israel set up idols in their heart. In Ezekiel 14, it says they set up idols in their heart. we study studied this a lot in counseling. An idol is anything we trust in more than God. Anything we trust in more than God. You see, as Calvin again said, we're all worshipers. Our heart's just an unceasing idol factory. We all have idols in our life. The question is, and here's a way to maybe detect today, to do a little idol exam in your own heart right now, wherever you're at. Right, what do you spend on? What do you save for? What do you speak about most often? What will you instantly sacrifice? Your schedule will just go out the door. I see that myself. I say, you know, kid with Josh, boy, I'm really busy. I got a lot to do. You know, you just find that you know you're willing to yield for certain things, and you you see that that's you see the values and the desires of your heart. What are you What are you sorrowful over? What breaks your heart the most when it's gone? Those are some ways to, to answer what idols are in your heart. If I asked you, could you have three wishes, or if I said, I'm going to give you three wishes right now, what would they be? What are your greatest desires? Because those are your idols. Those are the things you trust in more than God. Now, the funny thing is is that most of us are living within the handbook rules of this Masters College, but we could still be harlots, spiritual adulterers, loving everything more than God. Augustine said, I'd hate my own soul if I found it not loving God. And he said, he loves thee too little. He loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. And so all of us, there's, I'm sure, and I look at my own heart, that we are idolaters in one way or the other, and something that we're trusting in more than God something that is on the throne of our hearts, and we need to search our hearts in light of our jealous God. The second thing in response, okay, we talked about God's jealousy, and now we want to apply God's jealousy. The second thing is that we need to be zealous. First, we need to be jealous of ourselves, and then we need to be zealous in action. Turn to Numbers 25. This is the killer passage. (laughs) No pun intended. Numbers 25. As you turn there, I also want to remind you that Paul, not only did he say to the Corinthians, look out because you're the bride and I want you to stay pure till the wedding day. Paul was also jealous with a godly jealousy for them. Paul was jealous for them and we need to be jealous for other people and we need to take zealous action for them. Also, I think in Romans twelve eleven, just to tell you, in the NIV, Romans twelve eleven says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And the, um, Amplified says, be earnest, be aglow. But here in Numbers 25, we have Israel, they've met together, they're... Uh, confessing sin they're in moab and they've been again they've been a, taking in the foreign uh, women and committing heinous sins before god and uh, adultery again and then in numbers 25 verse 6 we read that behold one of the sons of israel came and brought to his relatives a midianite woman a heathen woman in the sight of moses and in the sight of all the congregation so they're all meeting right there dealing with sin and in the midst of that he comes in to have adultery in his tent and verse 7 when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation and took a spear in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and pierced both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. Now look at verse 11. God says, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood. Now this is what maybe we could write on Phineas's tombstone. This is his epitaph. Because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. William Law says this. This is a long quote, but it's powerful. Mark the mighty principle which rolled like a torrent in the heart of Phineas. The spirit leaves it not obscure. The praise is this. He was zealous for his God. He could not fold his arms and see God's law insulted. His rule defied. His majesty and empire scorned. The servant's heart blazed in one blaze of godly indignation. He must be up to vindicate his Lord. His fervent love, his bold resolve, fear nothing in a righteous cause. The offending Zimri, the man in in adultery, was a potent prince. Nevertheless, Phinehas spared him not. Believer, can you read this and feel no shame? Do your bold efforts testify your zeal? Sinners blaspheme God's name. Do you rebuke? False principles are current. Do you expose the counterfeits? Vice stalks in virtue's garb, do you tear down the mask? Satan enthralls the world, do you resist? Nay, are you not rather dozing, in case some of you are now. Nay, are you not rather dozing, unconcerned? Whether Christ's cause succeeds or be cast down, you little care. If righteous zeal girded your loins and braced your nerves and moved the rudder of your heart and swelled your sails of action, would God be so unknown and blasphemy so undaring? We read in Psalm 69 that David was eaten up in zeal for God. And we read in John, too, that Jesus, as he casted out the, the, the people in the temple and the, um, the money changers, he said, Jesus said, "'For zeal for my Father's house has consumed me.'" J.C. Uh, Ryle says this in Packer's book. This is powerful. I remember reading this my freshman year and thinking, "'If I have four years here and I have one thing, I want to be this. "'A zealous man in religion is preem- preeminently a man of one thing. "'It is not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit.'" He only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He's swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health, sickness, rich, poor, pleases man, gives offense, thought wise, thought foolish, gets blame, gets praise, gets honor, gets shame. For all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he is consumed in the very burning, he cares not, for he is content. He feels that like a lamp he's made to burn. And he, if consumed in the burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him. Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. It's like a guy, he's got to play basketball. This guy's got to show a sphere for his zeal. If he cannot preach, work, and give money, he will cry and sigh and pray. If he cannot fight in the valley with Joshua, he'll do the work of Moses, Aaron, and her on, on the hill praying. If he is cut off from working himself, he will give the Lord no rest till help is raised up from another quarter and the work is done. This is what I mean when I speak of a zeal in religion. Jim Elliot said, God, I pray thee, take these idle sticks of my life and let them burn up for thee. I ask not for a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Jim also said, one treasure, a single eye, and a soul master. That was the sum of his life. I want to give you a few tips in closing. um, Tips on how we can be zealous men. How can we, we, after we stare in the face of a jealous God, how can we respond? Here's some tips. One, read biographies. You know, on the second floor of our famous Powell Library, the back hall, it's the next to last row, upstairs, there's never anyone up there. Go for a walk. There's a whole hall of faithful men. Just read the titles. Pick a biography. Read a few chapters. Let their temperature show you your low temperature. Let them light a match to your heart. Go read biographies. Those just light my soul. Take a walk on the second floor of the library. Secondly, be in company with other zealous people. It's a lot better caught than taught. Thirdly, be evangelistic. Be missionary-minded. Devotion leads to mission, right? And worship leads to outreach. If you found bread, you're going to tell fellow beggars. So if you're zealous, you're going to want to tell other people. So pursue missions. You know, I love to talk to some of you guys. I've talked to Matt. You know, wanting to go to foreign mission field and just go to unreached areas. Have that kind of zeal. Dream big. And, you, and let your zeal be manifested in action for God. Another thing. I just thought of this yesterday. Use Sundays to rekindle your zeal. Let God rekindle your It doesn't have to be Sunday. It seems to be a good day. Um, probably is the best day um, take that day, take a day, take a half day of time take it off, just take a day of prayer take a day alone with God you get so busy at college, you get running here and there you're doing this and that and your zeal just comes down to a very flicker take, a time, take some time alone go off and for a walk, talk with God confess your sin, say God, lie my soul on fire my life's too short, I'm going to be laying in a coffin in a few years, is my life going to count? say God, make my life count take some time alone, go for a walk with God Use your Sundays for renewal. Work hard on Saturdays if you need to. Get homework done so you can take the afternoon Sunday and just to rekindle your passion for God. Another thing, let knowledge fuel your zeal. Let truth be the fuel, let it intensify your passion. You guys a lot of times we think doctrine, you know, we think we sing a hymn, and boy, you get down to four hymns and you're like, you know, I'm out. Truth should fuel it. I'm more excited now than I was when I walked in the gym because of those hymns because and again, it's not preference, courses aren't bad. I'm just saying the chorus him whatever let truth fuel your do- fuel your zeal pursue doctrine because that's where you're going to get the coals to light your fire for god the last thing i want to mention and i think this is especially hits home is that we need to guard against taking his name lightly I'm, and i specifically speak to master's college campus and myself here we take his name so lightly around campus and everywhere we because we use it so much especially at a christian college campus god god is zealous for his own name yet are we He's, his name stands for all that He is, and yet we take it so lightly. A lot of times we just throw it around, you know, maybe we're mocking a song, or we're just we're just singing. Maybe we, the, the thing is, you might not mean it negatively, but you could still be misusing God's name. A lot of times, I'll have, you know, you see a guy sit down in the cafeteria, and just, you act like you're praying, and then you just pray for him. Oh, I pray for him, and you're not misusing God's name, but are you using it? Are you rightly using it? I mean, do you really mean the name of God which stands for all that He is? No, and maybe some of you say this is tickler, but I say, let's change, let's change on this campus, let's, Let's guard the way we use God's name very more. I had a friend last year who guarded me on that. Be careful, you know? You know what? Maybe that's out of the extreme, but hey, I'd rather be accused for going a little far to that side and be a little too cautious about God's name than go on the other side and just throwing his name around. Oh, yeah. Oh, praise. You know, we say that so much and we misuse God's name and we take it lightly. So I challenge us. If God's zealous for his own name and if he did great deeds to all of history, shouldn't we be zealous for God's own name? So that's the jealousy of God. I hope that it impacts your life. I hope that it challenges you. I know it's challenged me. And now as you're packing up, I'm not done. I have a warning. Some of you, some of you aren't just struggling with the zeal. Some of you have never known zeal. Some of you aren't just losing your first love. I need to keep getting back to my first love. Some of you have never had a first love. Are you a Christian? The Bible says if we know Christ, we'll be excited about him. Titus 2.14 says, in the previous verse, the grace of God came It appeared to all men. God saved us. He saved the people for his own self, zealous for good works. That's the mark of a Christian. Now, if you're struggling with a low claim, that's what my message was for. But some of you, have you ever known, a, just think, have you ever known a moment in your life where you've got excited about God's glory? Have you ever known one moment? Now, I have to encourage myself because there's a lot that I haven't. But have you even known a few times in your life where you said, hey, could you please stop that? That's my God you're talking about. Have you ever acted out of zeal, or have you never even had the slightest feeling of concern and passion for God's name? Maybe you're just struggling with signs of life, or maybe you're just flat out straight line dead. Ephesians two, and you don't know Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, you need to repent right now. Don't leave the gym. Go out, go back behind here, and repent and say, God, I'm not just cold. I'm dead. I could like some. I could hold a match to you right now, and it would not even touch you. You would not even ignite, because you don't know Jesus Christ, and you're not saved. And you're just getting more callous and more callous because you you just lived a lie. So i want to challenge you with that and your zeal isn't going to save you what did him say you know could my zeal no longer flow could my tears forever flow this person could not atone thou must save him thou alone your zeal is not going to save you but if you've never had zeal are you saved that's the question look to jesus christ say no zeal no tears no keeping of the law nothing saved i look to jesus christ and what he did on the cross for me and i want to i want to be saved turn to someone turn to your neighbor and cry out to god for help don't wait for tomorrow i want us to close in prayer really this time it's not fake we're really into Um, And I want to read a hymn, a couple lines that Charles Wesley wrote, a prayer that Charles Wesley wrote to God. And uh, I hope that you'll pray these with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we want this prayer of Charles Wesley to be ours. I want a godly fear, a quick discerning eye, that looks to thee when sin is near and sees the tempter fly. A spirit still prepared and armed with jealous care forever standing on its guard and watching unto prayer. I want a true regard, a single steady aim, unmoved by threatening or reward, to thee and thy great name, a jealous, just concern for thine immortal praise, a pure desire that all may learn and glorify thy grace. Father, we thank you for today. We're grateful for the chance to look at your word and to to have the heat turned up on us, God, because we know we often grow so cold. I just sometimes want to give up on this fight with familiarity that we have at a Christian college. But we're thankful to be here, and we're glad to to look at your word and your call for us to be zealous. And I confess I'm even a bit scared now because I know it's been easy to preach this, uh, to live it the rest of the day and the rest of my life. Uh, Thank you for taking away the nervousness, allowing it to be clear. Thank you for everyone being so attentive and quiet. And God, um, we need your grace. And maybe we're a bit scared because we're so cold. Maybe some people in here aren't Christians, and they need to look to Jesus Christ for salvation. But Lord, um, thank, you, thank you also for reminding us that the zealous man is, is the blessed man, But that's the best way to live. And it's all, it's only a logical response. But God, how amazing that you would ever be jealous for us. How amazing that you would spend your jealousy on on dust and creatures as us, and that you would want us to be yours, that you would love us, that you would engage yourself to us in an eternal marriage. God, comfort us by that and help us to know, even though it's a hard way, it's the best way, and Lord, we want to just respond, and we know you're commandments are easy and they're not burdensome so give us the grace give us your holy spirit now as we go to apply these things to our lives and thank you for this privilege and we uh, pray all this in jesus precious name amen